Mac Power Users, episode 511, the 2019 Developer Roundtable. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my pal, Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? Good. This is one of my favorite shows that we do every year. It's the annual Developer Roundtable on the Mac Power Users, where we have some of our developer friends come in to talk to us about how things are going in the world of development, uh, You know, some thoughts on what Apple's doing, where it's going. And uh, it's just a really fun show. It's, it's going to be madness for our pal Stephen Hackett to edit because we're going to have mm-hmm. five of us on the recording. But hey, you know what? Life is full of challenges. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Life is full of challenges you give other people. No, this this yeah. is going to be fun. I uh, before I came on the show, this was always one of my favorite episodes because it's it's an opportunity to talk about the business of development and big trends and just kind of what people are up to. So I'm, I've been looking forward to this. As I said last week, I have been collecting notes and thoughts on this for a while, uh, knowing that this was coming, and I am excited that it's here. All right. Well, let's introduce our panel. Um, bachelor number one. No, just kidding. <laughs> well, uh, first uh, to the show is our pal Dave Terre from One Password. Welcome to the show, Dave. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, I mean, it. it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. I think I tell this story every year because I love it so much. When I was first getting started with Mac Sparky, I was at Macworld. Dave was just getting started with One Password. He had a little table behind the Apple booth. It was called Tiny Town at the time. And um, and Dave was just getting started and we just struck up this great friendship. And over the years, it's just been such a joy to see your company grow. And, and I will tell the audience, the very first time I met Dave, he told me I should buy a new laptop. And uh, for 10 minutes before we started recording today, Dave was encouraging me again to buy a new laptop. So, you know, you are taking on the role as the enabler of the Mac Power users. It's very, very important to stay current in this industry. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> also, uh, back to the show is Ken Case from the Omni Group. Welcome back, Ken. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's, it's always a pleasure. And, um, and also, welcome back to the show, Greg Scown from Smile. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's great. Um, you guys are some of our favorite developers. I guess we should say up front, all three of these companies have sponsored the Mac Power users at times in the past and will sponsor it again, no doubt, at some point in the future. Uh, nevertheless, this show is not sponsored by them. This is a show that is something that we came up with. Katie and I wanted to do it originally. Now, Stephen was totally on board with doing it as well. We want to hear from developers about how it's going. A lot of our listeners are always curious about the business, but also how it affects them as users. And these are three of the smartest people in the business, in my opinion, and I'm just so pleased that they come on the show. So I think we got to start somewhere, guys. And uh, let's take a minute to look at the past. You know, 2019 is almost over. And uh, I guess, Ken, I'd ask you first, how do you think Apple did last year? There are a bunch of things that Apple took on this year, uh, but the things that I care about most as a developer are things like the new Mac Pro, which for me is an important signal that Apple still cares about the professional market and you know what power users need from their Macintoshes, from these devices that we sit in front of all of the time and, and do work on. Uh, and along with that, of course, the new MacBook Pro that just uh, <laughs> got announced. Uh, with its new keyboard and everything else. And by the way, gang, Ken's getting one of those too. So he's he's also encouraging me to buy one. They, these guys are all terrible. 
<laughs> yeah, I can't help. <laughs> uh, and you know, catalysts with you know, the rich shortcuts uh, that just uh, shipped in iOS 13, uh, and the multiple windows in iPad OS 13. You know, so all of that for me signals this great direction from the point of view of pros. And so, from a direction point of view, I give Apple an A plus on this past year. You know, one of the things you said that really stood out for me this year was, you know, we've heard rumors the last couple of years that Apple is taking the Mac more serious now and it's going to give it better treatment. But it seems like this is the year that that became, you know, you, you saw the results of that change. Um, Dave, what do you I mean, do you do you agree? Yeah, I would, I would love to echo Ken's thoughts because like I, I, I agree with him so much like. It's one of those things you 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 build a relationship with a company and then the company starts doing some other things and you're like you get afraid that you know maybe they're going to leave you behind and as as all pro users here like I think we've all been kind of afraid that the Mac was going to be left behind and and, and just the pro market in general would be left behind but um, as Ken said Apple's really signaled hard this year that they're not giving up on the pro market and they they've doubled down on it if not triple down on it. And um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't be more happy there. Um, I, I I I feel I feel like Apple is just so big now. Like they do so many things, it's hard to really give like a year of end report in like thirty seconds or so. But I, I have great respect for how they're able to like show the pro market that they still care, but still all the way on the other end of the spectrum spectrum, you know, like. Apple TV Plus, I don't know. I, I think it's pretty nice, right? Like, I, I don't know. Just seeing Apple, you know, doing movies and stuff, um, like an Apple Apple original movies and things, it's, I don't know. I, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I mean, the growth is so amazing. I remember at one point Steve Jobs got on stage and talked about how they had a $50 billion year. And he was just so amazed that Apple's a $50 billion company. And now it's like if they have a quarter that's, that is that amount, their stock goes down. You know, it's, it's, it is remarkable how much they've grown. Th- things have changed so much, and uh, but like overall, like I think we all have lots of nits that we can pick, and, and certainly on the software side, like there's there's been some rough rough edges there, and and I'm sure we're going to talk more about that. But like <laughs> I don't know, o- o- overall, you know, I don't know, take a look at their stock. I guess they're doing just fine. Greg, what about you? How do you score Apple for the last year? I think it's been a great year for them, uh, seriously. And I think that they've demonstrated a remarkable ability to fire on an awful lot of cylinders and fire really well. Um, I I was psyched that the MacBook Pro came out. Uh, The phones were really fantastic. The watch with the always on screen, uh, you know, that's all this year. And the funniest thing is that I think as of the beginning of this year, uh, you know, Apple was doomed. This round of phones weren't going to be any good. Uh, you know, the watches ho hum, and and so you know, it's amazing to see the cycle of doom to glory um, in the course of just one year. Uh, and I mean, I'd, I'd echo Dave a little on software was probably their stumbling point this year. Probably tried to do a little too much in that realm, um, and. Yeah, I think they're in the midst of recovering from that. So let's assume that they managed to do that as well throughout the beginning of the year. Then, you know, they'll have had one heck of a year. Let's talk a little bit about some of those those software changes. Uh, I want to talk both about Catalyst and SwiftUI, but let's take them 
one by one. Uh, Mac Catalyst, of course, being the technology that allows developers with an iPad app to, uh, in Apple's words, click a checkbox, but in reality, it's, it's more work than that, and bring an iPad app over to the Mac. And we're now a couple months into this, and I have a couple of Catalyst apps that I use every day. And it is early days in this technology, but it does seem like Apple wants to to bring their platforms closer together. And Catalyst is maybe uh, step one of that, I think, in, in a longer arc. Uh, I'm, I'm curious uh, if you guys have looked at using this in any of your apps. All three of you support a whole bunch of different Apple platforms and what you think about this. Uh, Ken, let's start with you. As an Apple developer, like as an engineer who uses Xcode, Catalyst is interesting to me, but it's not directly relevant to our apps. Uh, you know, we already have great Mac apps, and uh, we often write code on the Mac first, and then we bring it over to iOS, not the other way around. So for us as developers, as a company, uh, I don't know that we'll be using that technology anytime soon. That said, as a small developer, um, you know, it's great to see more apps come to the platform. And yeah, I've started using some that are now available that, that were not available until it, that showed up on the scene. So I'm really glad to see that make the platform stronger. Greg, what about you? We're really pretty much in the same position as Ken. Uh, so we've gone from macOS to iOS, and Catalyst is really primarily about the reverse direction. I mean, great, great for the ecosystem, but not uh, incredibly relevant to what we're doing. If you guys were starting uh, fresh today with with a new app, you know, say that something new that'd be cross-platform. Would Catalyst be something that you would look at if you were starting at zero, or is the traditional approach of separate Mac Mac and iOS code bases still more to your liking? I think if we were starting brand new and we were willing to be bloodied a little bit along the way, then we would probably <laughs> start with Swift UI. Yeah, bl- bloodied is the right term, right? <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Ken was telling me um, offline that you were experimenting a little bit with Swift UI. How's it going? Yeah, we actually shipped uh, three bits of three screens in our document-based apps on iOS that are built in Swift UI. So, uh, and I did that work. So I got to learn a little bit about where some of the rough edges are yet. But it's a, I think it's a really strong conceptual foundation. I really like the design and the, uh, I like that they built. It'll do the same thing for Mac and iOS. There's certainly still a lot of pieces that are missing. Uh, if you you know if you wanted to use anything like a pop-up on the Mac, uh, you end up with a very iOS-looking uh, wheel thing instead, like the wheels of time uh, that you see on iOS. So you know some of those things are still rough, but that's not surprising this early in the game. Uh, now, Dave, um, I, you know I guess all of our listeners really aren't necessarily familiar with swift ui could you kind of explain what what that's about oh you're gonna put me up to that task wow i should i should <laughs> i should let ten, ken take over because he got his hands dirty why, why don't i start and then ken can kind of fix 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 All right. fix what i write yeah. so swift ui i would say was built for well apps apps like ours because you know we're on ios we're on mac we're on watch you know we're on ipad and up, well, it, this is true right now, right? Um, we have a completely separate apps written 
for every single platform. And in some ways, this is fantastic because, you know, you get to use what's best about the operating system. Like whatever, whatever you have an iPad, like you get to use it. Whatever you have on Mac, you get to use it. So it's, so it's, it's really nice that way. You can really push the envelope. The thing is, though, pushing that envelope on four different platforms is like a lot of work. And even if you push the envelope and, and are super successful on all four platforms, well, you have to maintain it. Yet, you know, if you fix something on, on, on one, you have to go fix it on everybody else. So it's, it's just a tremendous amount of work. And even the largest software companies, they, they, they just can't really do it that well, to be honest, because like, it's just such a, a huge amount of work. And so you find differences between the apps um, wherever you go. And as a, as a, as a software developer, that, that drives me a little bit up the wall because they, there's always differences. Um, so with Swift UI, um, the idea is you have like more of a declarative UI. So you kind of declare how your UI should look. And then basically magic happens. And like so you, you'll see it, you declare how it works once or how it looks once. And then magic takes place and Apple does all the work to um, make it run on, on, all, on all the other platforms. Um, and so at least from a UI point of view, you can have consistency and the um, how, how do you want to say like like the best controls and, and these types of things on every operating system um, but it's all being controlled from one place I felt like that's a pretty good description yeah yeah I agree I would just add that uh, if anyone is scared off by this term declarative UI uh, an example of that is just the thing that all the web's built on right HTML is a declarative language that says here's how I want things to look and I'm you're more focused on the content and then you let the web browser worry about how to get those bits on the screen and Swift UI works the same way now, now, my understanding, though, and I may be wrong in this, is that it's more than just UI, that you can also share some of the underlying code, you know, the mechanics of how the apps work underneath. Is that right? Yes, but that's always been true. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's really good on, on the a Apple platforms. Well, I, I don't know. Ken can talk to, to how, how, how well it's working. Um, we haven't had a chance to dive that deep there yet. Um, one of our challenges is we also need ours to run on the web because like we do a lot of stuff in browsers, particularly around extensions for like filling and stuff like that. Um, and we also need uh, things to run on Windows. So um, Swift UI, obviously it's an Apple product, uh, Apple framework uh, technology. And so they're obviously targeting their stuff first. Um, but I actually saw some, some comments from, um, you know, uh, go across my Twitter feed where, you know, getting Swift UI to work on the web actually might not be that far of a stretch. So, you know, um, it's actually super exciting for us and I think we're going to end up using a lot of it. Um, but for us, I, it's, it's, it's not quite the silver, silver bullet just yet. Greg, um, you know, as power users, what should we be reading into this? I mean, why did Apple create Swift UI? I mean, what's the motivation and what do you think their goals are with Swift UI? I think Apple's goals are to try and make development across their multiple platforms. And in this case, you're talking about Mac, you're talking about iPhone, you're talking about iPad, you're talking about watch, and you're talking about web, especially if you consider something like um, the iWork suite, so pages, numbers, etc. Um, and trying to make the daunting task of making something look good and work well across all of those platforms less daunting. And so I would think that that's their goal. I mean, I, I can't read for sure into the web, although, uh, you know, Dave, I think what you're saying is probably true. Um, and, it, you know, it seems to me that's what their motivation is, is 
reduce friction, um, increase joy and consistency, and make the experience better for both developers and users. Well, and I, I think that consistency thing is important because you guys all have companies that spend a lot of time and money making sure that as users, we get a consistent experience that one password gives me similar work, you know, similar UI on Mac as it does on iPhone, for instance. But there's a lot of apps out there that don't spend that time. And it's, it's frustrating. I, I have to own up to it, David. I just have to own up to it. Like we spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of energy trying to make things consistent and we still don't. Like it's, it's very difficult to, to keep things like, cause you have multiple projects moving forward on, on multiple platforms and different teams. Right. So like just coordinating all this and, and getting things out the door at the same time, it's, it's very, very difficult. Ken, where do you see all this going in a few years? I mean, what, what is the future of Swift UI in a perfect world? In a perfect world, I think it starts to become the way that you develop software for Apple's platforms. Uh, you know, maybe in a very perfect world, you'd be able to develop for all platforms with it. And I actually see that some third parties, enterprising third parties, have started building Swift UI for Linux, for example. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, just something I saw this, go across my news feeds this week. And, uh, and that's pretty exciting. But, uh, but then we also had sort of open step implementations for Linux way back when, and I've, we never shipped anything on those platforms. So <laughs> there's a difference between people working on that and uh, it being something that, you know, a commercial developer can rely on, but, uh, but yeah, in a perfect world, I think this re uh, strongly reduces the amount of code that developers have to write to get, uh, to get these bits on the screen. Now there'll still be places where it doesn't really make a difference at all. Uh, just like, uh, when you're doing custom drawing in the OmniGraffle canvas or something, maybe, uh, maybe SwiftUI does not really help at all with that process, but there are other pieces where it can help. Uh, a ton. And uh, it feels to me a lot like the benefits that we saw when we uh, were talking with developers about uh, what happens when you bring these the next developer environment to the Macintosh as part of the making of OS X. Uh, and, you know, the way Carbon developers felt at that time about, well, that's so many fewer lines of code than what I have to write to do the same thing. Can I really trust that? Is that really going to work? Is it... <laughs> I like the next developer part there, Ken, because like the next developer to me is, um, you know, we're going like, to, you, you go hire someone and they join your team tomorrow and they're an iOS developer, but you need help on Mac. And right now there's not enough crossover there. It'd be, it'd be really nice if as a developer, you could jump between platforms, like watch wherever you want to go, at least on the Apple platform and not really have to, not have to relearn too much. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. We live in a complicated age, and we have countless online accounts, from social media all the way up to our banking. And each one of those accounts deserves to have a secure, unique password to keep us safe. That's where 1Password comes in. You can use it to create strong, unique passwords, and the best part is you don't have to remember them. They're all stored in 1Password on all of your devices, so if you're at home, in the office, or on the go, you can log into all of your accounts easily. I'm a big fan of 1Password for families, so you can share login information with the important people in your life. And with 1Password for Teams, you can create 1Password vaults for different coworkers and teams, managing access to critical information with fine-grained control. I use both of these, both at home and work, and it makes my life a lot better and a lot more secure. 
Of course, 1Password works across a wide range of browsers and devices. The 1Password team is always staying on top of the latest technologies from Apple and other companies to make sure that when you unwrap that new iPad or upgrade that new version of macOS, 1Password will be there ready. That means you can use things like Touch ID on the MacBook Pro and Face ID on the iPhone and iPad to quickly unlock your vault. And it means that 1Password integrates with things like autofill passwords on iOS, so you can log right in from the standard keyboard. That's great because staying secure shouldn't slow you down. Head on over to onepassword.com MPU. There you can learn more and sign up for a free 30-day trial. When you do sign up, you'll get 20% off. Once again, that URL is onepassword.com MPU. One thing uh, we haven't gotten to yet, but it's part of the Swift UI conversation, is the Apple Watch, where developers have been pretty limited in the early days with what y'all could do on the watch. Swift UI and just the watch getting better and faster. Uh, it's kind of amazing to me now to see what can be done uh, on the watch. And I know that is a, a, a very popular place, uh, Ken, for people who use use OmniFocus, for instance, to have your list on your wrist. Um, how has Apple Watch development uh, changed? And is 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 Swift UI and as the hardware gets better, do you see a, a bright future for the watch as a as a platform for your software? Oh, I do. Yeah. In fact, you know, looking at the watch right now and the technologies that are available uh, to build apps in, uh, just makes me of you know five years ago very jealous. <laughs> so <laughs> when we started building uh, watch apps in Watch OS one, right, the whole process was the app itself really ran on your phone. And the watch was just a display, so it was kind of like a remote terminal for your phone. And so anything that happened, uh, all of the logic actually came back to the phone. You, the phone would generate a screen, and then it would send it back to the watch. Uh, that uh, changed when we got the ability to create apps that natively ran on the the watch, but it still uh, the the UI options that were available to us were very limited. And, uh, and so we did get a chance to revamp things a little bit then. Uh, but yeah, I think about how how I would do that now with Swift UI. Uh, there's a lot of flexibility there. It is really uh, interesting to see how watch apps have evolved. I think of all the Apple platforms, watch is the one where uh, the poor developers have been forced to rewrite the app two or three times, uh, especially for the folks that were there at the beginning. Um, do you think that's going to settle now with Swift UI? <laughs> Let's go for that. Uh, I think it will <laughs> settle over time. I don't know that it... Uh, will settle immediately because people have already written a lot of apps and, you know, if they're working fine, they might not touch them for a while. But I certainly look forward to when we can. <laughs> like Swift, Swift itself is still settling down, right? So um, the, the things are always moving. That, that's what keeps it exciting, to be honest. It, now, for uh, folks at home that are interested in, like, maybe picking up a little programming, you know, wanting to get started at it, um, would you recommend that they start with Swift UI if you're just getting started? I guess I can take that one. I, 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 I don't know. This is such a tough one. So I, I have a 10 year old boy and I have a 13 year old girl and I keep on trying to learn ways to teach them programming. Yeah. And honestly, I haven't really been successful with pretty much anything yet. Um, uh, but I keep on personally coming back to uh, JavaScript myself. Like I, I know, I know a lot of people like to hate on JavaScript, but at the end of the day, it's, 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 fairly simple stuff like in terms of there's so many other things that you could be worrying about in computer science and javascript really simple like 
abstracts a lot of that away. So um, I, I kind of keep, and there's so many nice libraries there. So I, I'd be kind of pushing in that direction. Yeah, and Ken uh, is a fan of JavaScript, I know, because you've used that as the underlying engine for all this great omni-automation stuff you're building. Yeah, I would still, at this point, choose JavaScript over uh, Swift UI for this sort of thing. Although, if you just wanted to follow the uh, tutorials that Apple gives for developing a Swift UI app, those are pretty great. And, you know, if you stay sort of along their, their blessed path there, <laughs> I think you'll have a good experience. But uh, if you start to run into trouble right now, the compiler points you at the wrong line for your errors and so on. There's some rough patches around the actual implementation as opposed to the vision of Swift UI, where I think today it's not ready for that kind of uh, beginning user to try to figure out, hey, what am I doing and, and what went wrong? So, so uh, Greg, we had talked earlier about, you know, Apple over the past year, maybe they bit off a little bit more than they could chew with the, um, with the software it's always a question for me. Like as a user, I want them to be aggressive every year about adding new features, particularly in my opinion, the iPad was sorely needing some of the features it got this year. Um, so I don't want them to feel like, Oh no, we just can't take off. We just can't do that much again. Or it's just terrible. Right. Or, but you know, how do you find that balance if you're Apple or even just any software developer as to how much you grow the software versus stability? Yeah, I think that's a, an extremely delicate balance. And I think that probably the, the trickiest thing for Apple is that they do this dump of everything that's new at WWDC in June, and they ship it in September um, and perhaps October. And they try and to... And perhaps November. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> as you saw this year, it didn't quite all make it. And, you know, I think that it's fine to be ambitious, but it might be better to be sane. So uh, personally, I think it would be much better if Apple said, okay, this is what's coming in September. This is what's coming in December. And this is what will make it in March, assuming that everything goes okay. I mean, because realistically, I, I mean, I I don't know, I wouldn't presume to speak for, for Dave or Ken, but that's kind of what we do. So in particular with PDF Pen is we're laying out you know, the, the year of PDF pen development, you know, we know what we're going to try and hit with the major release, but we also have what's coming in, you know, 11.1, 11.2. And it's kind of strange that Apple isn't doing that. I mean, I thought this year's betas were lousy. I'm sorry to say, I mean, I, I thought they were, you know, really probably the worst quality betas that they've produced in the time that I've been working on Apple betas. And that makes it really hard because it's like, okay, is this thing that is utterly preventing text expander from saving, you know, going to ship like that? Do I now have to spend the next two or three weeks on a workaround or is this just a bump along the way? And then two, two betas along, it gets fixed. Fortunately for us, it was the latter. Um, and you know, we did our best to provide a reductive gaze and all the things that you do in that case, but it's tough. And I, I'm sure it's probably even tougher on iOS and even tougher on uh, folks who are trying to adopt Catalyst or Swift UI. Ken, uh, what, what do you think about that question of, you know, how much do they add every year? Is it, you know, is, 
I mean, I, I know you guys famously do a roadmap at the beginning of the year, usually. I mean, it, that's one of my favorite posts to see what Omni is going to be up to coming up. Is this idea that Apple has of saying, we're going to announce it in June and give it to you in September, and then we're going to go silent for nine months. Does that still make sense? Well, it's hard for me to put myself in the shoes of Apple sure, <laughs> and guess sure. what's appropriate it's a big for company. them. Yeah. From, uh, you know, if I felt like I had to ship everything in September, I guess I would hope that a lot of it would have been done before I even announced it in June. Perhaps that's where Apple thought they were, and then they realized that they had more than they expected to, uh, to get the last few steps to, uh, the, you know, what seemed like few, a few steps, but they turned out to be very, uh, <laughs> a lot of details in those steps. Yeah, it happens no matter what you do for a living. Sometimes you find out it's harder than you thought it would be. Often, right? I would certainly enjoy them taking their time. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, I, I don't have the answers to this stuff, but it, it is confusing. Like, um, Dave, same thing. You guys are always adding new features. That's what I want out of my software. You know, I want Apple to do it. I mean, should we as users be worried that now Apple's going to be too conservative because of what happened this year? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I hope not. I hope they don't get too conservative. But yeah, re releasing releasing fast and often is is something that that we uh, we live and live and breathe by over here. Like honestly, like I just can't think that far ahead. Like I have huge respect for for Ken and his uh, roadmap posts that he does every year. Like he does a really good job there, and I've always wanted to kind of follow suit but i just like i just can't bring myself to do it because things just change so quickly and and new priorities come up and uh th these types of things so i've just i've always taken the opposite approach and i just kind of i don't really talk about the future at all whenever unless i get too excited but i try not to talk about the future at all and then you know come along with with a surprise so so kind of like what apple does but like every couple of months right it, it makes it makes all the difference in the world um, I, I, I think we all sat there at WWDC in, in awe when we saw the slides, of, like when Apple's going through the slides of just how many features there were. Like it was just, there was just, you couldn't even read them. They were just everywhere. And of course, part of that was for effect. They wanted you to think that there was a whole lot of updates. But when you actually started to dig into it, there, there really, really were a lot of updates there. And yeah, I, I like personally, I, I would say it was more than they could chew. At least that's kind of what what seems to have happened, anyways, right? And I, like I, I, to me, I'm one of the other things we do is we try to separate our services and our apps, right? So like we have we have our onepassword.com server, and like a whole bunch of like we have whole teams taking care of that thing and making sure it's it's growing and and expanding and getting new features and all this type of stuff. Um, and we keep that completely separate from the apps and we try to release them on different release schedules so that, you know, honestly, so we can kind of keep our sanity. Um, it kind of reminds me of like this past year, it kind of reminds me of, um, I'm, I'm relying on my memory now, which is always dangerous, but I, I think it was like iOS 3 or something like that, or iOS 4. It, it was released at the same time as as, as a, a Mac OS update. Like basically they were released hand in hand and then new iPhones, like everything was on the same day. And yeah, it, it, was really, that. <laughs> it was really, really rough, right? Um, and then yeah. they kind of learned their lesson and um, and kind of broke it apart. And, and we had some really smooth years there. And unfortunately for software, this kind of just ended up being a, a rough year. They just 
they they, they were very ambitious and I, I like that it's just get, maybe maybe they can find another way to get it, to get it out there it's interesting too thinking about the year before right iOS 12 the rumors were there's gonna be a lot of stuff they pulled stuff out focused on stability focused on performance on older devices which I think is uh is really good a lot of people are running around with older phones and iPads but in thinking about uh, about the future if 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 you know Craig Federighi landed on from his spaceship in your front yard and said uh, you know what is the balance between f- features and stability do y'all have uh, a sort of philosophy about that maybe something that informs your own development or something you think about uh, in looking at Apple what do you think Greg well, I mean, I think that you try your best, <laughs> which sounds terrible, doesn't it? But I think I'm, I'm hoping I'm getting knowing laughter from from, from Dave and Ken. Um, you know, you you set standards, uh, so you know you don't ship with crashing or data loss bugs, uh, which means sometimes you don't meet your schedule because those don't go out the door, um, and then you try to have standards for, for for the next step below that and making sure that whatever new features that you produce work work well get tested uh, hopefully you have a great QA team with black thumbs who are perfectly capable of you know doing things that you never expected them to do and destroying your project product in the process um, and you know you learn from that as you go along so I, i'm not sure that Apple isn't doing these things. I'm pretty sure that they are. Uh, I think that you know it's just, I suppose, time and the sheer number of things that they're doing are their enemy to a certain extent. Well, it sure feels to me like you know they got lots of praise last year when they didn't add a lot of features, and this year they took a shellacking. You know, <laughs> so I'm sure that's going to affect the decisions in the future. But you know, like I said, as a user, and and particularly some of the newer platforms like iPad and um, the like, they I sure hope they don't get, you know, gun shy now and, and, you know, hold back on giving us features we need because there are other companies out there making products that are developing just fine, you know? Yeah, it's hard for me to think of any features that I would want to cut out of the operating systems that they just <laughs> exactly. gave us um, in order to have it be more stable. I, I was thinking about just the whole idea of September. Like, I, why couldn't they in June give us a list of all the stuff they want to do over the next year? And they're Apple, so they don't even have to say when. You know, they don't have to give you a precise timeline. Just say, you know, these are the things we're going to be working on over the next year. And then it solves a lot of problems in terms of, you know, not having to have everything done in September. I don't know. I mean, what do I know? But how do you feel when Microsoft does that to you? Like, do you feel great? I don't know. I, like, we, we have other yeah. companies to, 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 you know, to look to. And Microsoft is infamous for announcing things that, aren't ready yet. In fact, they used to use it as a competitive advantage. They would just announce that they're working on it. No one even wrote any code yet, but they just they just would announce it so that, you know, the competitors wouldn't do it. Um, it was pretty it was pretty nasty. Um, but anyways, I I don't know. I as much as um, I'm upset about the stability and stuff this year, I don't know. I think Apple's got a pretty good thing going for it. So if I were them, I'd probably keep it the way they have it. Just it seems to fit their culture pretty well. But man, when I go to send a text from my watch, I want that message to actually get sent. Um, you know, it's one of my pet peeves. I, not not to derail too far, but like, like I'll I'll like raise my risk. My watch will turn on. I'll I'll say text Sarah. It understands what I'm talking about. I'll then dictate my whole 
sentence. Everything is absolutely perfect. But then the message just will never get sent. <laughs> like it's infuriating. Um, so, so yeah, fix that, please. Yeah, they're always, you know, it feels like there are a lot of those kinds of things going on this year. And it's the same thing. Like as nerds, we're around people. Have you, have you noticed? I get this all the time. They're like, well, how come this isn't working? It's like, it's my fault. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's always fun. It's like, you you do know, I'm not actually uh, writing, you know, the OS. I'm just, I'm just hanging out talking about computers, but what can you do? Well, Uh, it's particularly rough when those things are exposed to the user inside your app. So, you know, when we have a screen, uh, like we just adopted Apple's uh, file browser dialogue. And if a customer encounters a bug anywhere in that file browser, well, reasonably they think it's inside your app and so you should be able to fix it. But we don't even have access to to anything about that. It runs off in a different address space, a different process, and we get a few very limited APIs. And so if a toolbar item, you know, we told it to show up and it doesn't show up, then that's there's not much we can do about that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Head over to textexpander.com/podcast and let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users to get 20% off your first year. You've probably been hearing us talk about automation and getting more work done with your Mac and iOS devices for years now. Why don't you take the first step by getting yourself a copy of Text Expander? To me, Text Expander is the perfect first step in getting automation involved because it's got simple tools in it where you can just type a few keystrokes and make something happen, but then it's got so much more power once you start diving in as a Mac Power user. That's right, I'm telling you to unlock your productivity with Text Expander. Don't just make text expansion templates like your cell phone and your address as useful as they are. Instead, make a few that involve fill-in information, like you can create a date stamp that I use every day, or you can create one where it prompts you for a name, like when you're sending a common email, dear blank comma, and then you can write that email text as well. With Text Expander, you can make everything you write repetitively available everywhere you type. Text documents, spreadsheets, web forms, anywhere. And if you get Text Expander for Teams, you can even share those snippets among your team at work. So if you've been thinking about automation and you haven't tried it yet, I'm challenging you today. Get yourself a copy of Text Expander and start making your life easier. Head over to TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more about the application. Let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users and you get 20% off of your first year. We thank TextExpander for all of their support of the Mac Power Users. Uh, so let's shift gears a little bit. We, we kind of started by talking about 2019 and this year. Uh, one thing that I have felt pretty acutely this year is that it feels like the transition to a recurring revenue for software has has really made big strides. That was introduced several years ago, and a lot of a, a lot of apps, including ones written by the three of you, have moved to this uh, to this business model. And I, I, maybe it's just me. I mean, you guys hear the feedback uh, from your customers, I know, but it seems like people have kind of settled into this is how. Uh, this is kind of how things are now, and and I wonder if if a if y'all feel the same way, if you feel like this is sort of the new normal, um, and and just kind of an overall feeling of of how that transition has gone, and if there's more work to do. Um, uh, what do you think, Dave? Yeah, I, I think you summed it up pretty well there. Um, there used to be so like just gobs amount of hate whenever someone would talk about a subscription service, and 
that's really really died down i know i know there's certainly um um, some folks out there that are still completely anti-subscription and and we we see that today um we actually still like when we we actually still offer both and so when um some people are so religious against it that when i go and tell them well we actually have the license if you want to go get it um some are so religiously against it they're like well you're you're going to be subscription only anyways soon so you know i'm just going to i'm just going to walk and then i'm of course i very politely say well you're like this is like a self-fulfilling prophecy because if people like you don't actually ever buy the license, then why would we sell them, right? Um, but uh, the, the amount, like it, it, people have started to accept it. And honestly, a lot, like this actually was surprising to me. A lot of people are, like they prefer it. Like it's just, it's, it's much better. Like I, I've always been a type of person where I'll save up, save up money and then I go buy something. Um, and uh, people who would like lease cars and stuff like that, I just, I just never understood it. It just wasn't me. Um, but the reality is, is that there's a whole lot of people out there that love to lease cars and, you know, um, and they do. So when we introduced ours, our subscription model, uh, uh, we, we, we of course got a lot of hate, but we also got, a, we got a lot of praise and, and now I think it's been what, about three and a half years now since, since we introduced it. And, uh, I forget the numbers, but it's, it's gotta be at least 90, 98, 99% of our revenues come from subscriptions, maybe 99.9 now. Like it's just, it's, it's off the charts. I, I mean the most, I was talking to a software developer friend and it wasn't any other people on the show today about this transition. And, and he w- he makes a legal specific software application and he summed it up so nicely. He said, it was the worst three months of my life when I made the transition. But when I got done, I knew that I could stay in business and I could continue to make my product, <laughs> you know? And it was just, it was so vivid for me the way he described that. Um, but, you know, it does feel to me, I would agree with Steven. I mean, from the Mac Power Users perspective, we don't hear from listeners as much complaining about it. It seems like people have started to generally accept it. Um, now, Ken, you guys have experimented a little bit with subscriptions. How is that going for you? It's going fine. It's still a relatively small um, section of our revenue, but we're, you know, we're quite a bit behind the curve relative to what uh, Dave has been doing with his company and what Greg's been doing with uh, some of their products anyway. Uh, so we don't have as much experience on that front, but we did decide it was appropriate to offer customers the choice. And uh, now that we were offering a service for OmniFocus on the web, uh, it really needed to be supported with recurring revenue. So uh, so for that, it made obvious sense. And then once we're uh, having a subscription for OmniFocus for the web, we thought, well, if you're paying every month, you might want to just include the app as part of that. <laughs> so, uh, so we licensed the app, and now, yes, we're starting to get requests from customers. Well, can I get the whole suite? Can I get other apps on this basis? You know, it transfers some of the risk uh, away from the person purchasing the software to the developer, right? Because we get the revenue later uh, instead of getting all of the money up front when they buy the product. So, uh, you know, let's say that we charge, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, 5% of our normal list price uh, every month. Then over the first year, we've made about half of what we would have made on the other thing. And that's after the customer's using it for a full year. They've still only paid us half of what they might have otherwise. And then they could just leave the product and they're done and we only made half the money. So it's on us at that point to make sure that 
they still uh, stay interested and see the benefits of what they're getting and keep going. Uh, but then in the long run, you know, some of that risk uh, and investment shifts over to the customer because they've, uh, you know, with our typical pay up front model, you could use one of our apps for five or 10 years. You know, there are people that are just now finally upgrading from OmniGraffle 5, which we shipped about 10 years ago, uh, to OmniGraffle 7 because Catalina uh, doesn't support OmniGraffle 5 anymore. Uh, and so, you know, those people could sort of upgrade on their own uh, time frame. And if they were instead on a subscription, they would have had to have been paying all along the way. And obviously that would be more money in the long run. So because of that uh, decision between, you know, risk and uh, long-term costs versus short-term costs, we decided let's just give that decision to the customer and let them make up the mind for their own business. What makes sense? Yeah. And, and it does seem like that didn't, you know, it just didn't incur a lot of drama and people are, can make their own decision what they want to do. And, and Greg, you guys have both products that you sell on the traditional model and products on a subscription model. And uh, it seems like that's working out okay for you. Yes. So far, we've had pretty good luck today, given that we have background noise. Um, and I apologize right now, we've got a little bit of noise going on. Uh, but let's see how we do with this. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we're able to sustainably support uh, our products, grow the audience, um, and grow our team. And that's super exciting. And so, you know, I think that the transition over the last several years uh, for us has been a really, really good thing. And, you know, we've been able to add platforms. We've been able to essentially flesh out the server product as well. And so that's been super, super exciting. Um, we've also taken a sort of similar stance to uh, Ken with the uh, PDF pen product where we have the buy once upgrade as you wish license, uh, but we also participate in setup so that you can actually purchase a subscription if you prefer. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that, but that's right. You guys do have it in setup as well. Mm -hmm. um, can, can, the, I, uh, can I chime in for a minute, David? Sure. Sure. I, I just wanted to say like, I really like what Ken said about shifting the risk uh, to the developer. I, th I think that was just fantastic, but I, I just, since there's a lot of business owners on this, on this, you know, listening, um, I just want to say, with the with the subscription, I, what I just love about it so much is we've been able to hire a lot more people on our team and know that they're going to get paid because we're able to we're able to hire them as our as our subscription revenues go up. Um, in past years, right, it was really scary. You kind of had to save up a whole bunch of money, um, and then you would hire people because you you didn't know when your next when, when your next upgrade was going to be. And you never knew if people were even going to pay for the upgrade. Um, and so just in terms of running a business, uh, the subscription model is just like, it, it's just, it's just, there's, there's no comparison. It's, it's, it's just the way to go. Yeah, having a business where you know that you're going to be making money in six months is always a good thing. Right. <laughs> it does it, help, it, uh, help the whole sleeping at night thing. The, you know, the, the other interesting thing about the subscription model that I've seen uh, from your apps and others is it seems to have changed the way releases are handled. You know, kind of we talked about this earlier with Apple about, you know, they've got their big release in September. But it seems like the subscription apps are now you're just it, you're not 
holding back as much. It seems like we're getting a more steady stream of updates. I don't know if you guys would agree or not, if that's a change the way you do the software, but like um, Dave, for instance, I, what's your feeling on that? Does subscription change the way you add new features? Oh, absolutely. Um, we actually have some under the covers work that we're doing right now. Um, that's going to uh, improve performance and these types of things. And in, in past, in past cycles, we would have held this back for like, uh, we, we have a, I just said, I don't talk about the future, but here I am. Um, one password eight is something that we are working towards. Um, and we would have held these performance improvements for one password eight, but you know, there's, there's really no reason to, right? Like, like in terms of like, uh, you know, we, we're, we're not going for a, a massive splash for like, um, you know, uh, up, upgrade revenue and this type of stuff. And so we're able to ship these earlier to our, to our users. So it's, 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 a, it's a really nice change of pace. I think also the other thing that we can do is that we can ship small things when they're ready. Um, and we also have the freedom to pursue something big without worrying about exactly when it ships um, or worrying about it being part of a major release and an upgrade cycle. And that's kind of exciting. I mean, that, that grants a great deal more freedom in terms of what we can do with the product. I hadn't thought about it in terms of big features, but you're right. I mean, you don't have to say, we want to make this big feature, but we can only get it to however far we can get it by next you know, June when we're going to release it, this, this big update. Whereas now you could say, well, if it takes until next September, but it's it's more awesome, then that's fine. So if, if iPhones were on a subscription plan, then Apple wouldn't have to have these big releases, right? And then we'd have more stability. About... We'd have more stability. So <laughs> food for thought. Uh, another transition that uh, I've seen uh, all three of you and a lot of other developers make over the last few years, but it's, again, this it's is one of the things that I have felt more this year is that products and development shops that are really focused on end users have seen their apps and services adopted by uh, the enterprise, by by larger companies. And uh, I'm not asking any of y'all to, to reveal any specific things about that, but it, it's something that, that I have noticed that you see uh, apps that, oh yeah, like I used to use that on my Mac and iPhone and I still do and I, I use and love it every day. It's like, oh, it's also in like these big companies that I have friends who work for. And um, I, I wonder what are some of the challenges that come along with trying to uh, grow an enterprise or a business-focused uh, business and product while not while also balancing the needs of individual and home users. Uh, what are some of the challenges there, Ken? Well, one of the um, challenges, I guess, is the businesses often want you to agree to their terms of sale. <laughs> <laughs> some standard ag agreement that they have come up with as opposed to agreeing to your your own standard things. And we don't necessarily have time to deal with a hundred different people's uh, contracts and negotiate with all of their lawyers and so on. Yeah, lawyers, am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you, you, you always want to start with your contract. You don't want to start with the other guy's contract. That's <laughs> never good. The other, uh, I, I did learn some magic words in, uh, in talking with a number of, uh, you know, enterprise businesses, which is, if you mentioned that your solution is on-prem, that the data is stored on their site, uh, and the term, you know, on-premises, um, it gets abbreviated on-prem because uh, 
some people were using on-premise versus on-premises, and then there was you know a nice language argument over that <laughs> question. Um, so if you use the magic term on-prem, then they realize, oh, we don't have to do all of this stuff around auditing your security about how safe you're keeping our data on your computers, because it's never on your computers. It's on our computers, and we just have to continue auditing our own computers. Uh, so that's also been an interesting thing to learn about. It is interesting, though, because like, all three of you have expanded your businesses by going out to, you know, larger business. I, I almost hesitate to use the word enterprise because it's so loaded, but the, uh, but you have expanded. I, I was at an event recently and talked to a listener who was talking about how they're using text expander at a very large company. And, and it just hadn't occurred to me that you were able to do that, but of course you were because of the way you've made changes to the business. But, um, you know, Greg, do you, you know, how do you balance that when you're growing the business in that direction, but you've also got a product that started with small users and small businesses, you know, how do you balance those two? Sure. Well, you have to stick to the fundamentals, which is that, you know, we're out to improve productivity. And so on the individual level, that is taking the keystrokes and turning them into a vast majority more keystrokes and possibly having fill-ins and other delightful things along the way. The magic for us is being able to share those snippets amongst a group. And, you know, once that group is, you know, a few people, why not be hundreds of people or thousands of people as the case may be? And it turns out that, you know, they find that as beneficial. And then also within the product, there are groupings. So there are groupings of both snippets and of people. And that allows you to share that which is relevant um, and also to have some permissions around editing. So, you know, it wasn't that great a leap from we want to do better sharing and we would like the data to be in the cloud to we are now able to serve considerably larger teams who are doing neat stuff. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Linode. It doesn't matter if you're working with your first server or deploying a complex system, Linode is the folk to go to because with Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud and get a server up and running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. Linode offers the fastest hardware and networking with outstanding customer support if you need any help. And it's super easy to launch a Linode cloud server. Their block storage is available in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore, and soon to be released in Tokyo. And version 4 of Linode's RESTful API is out of beta and includes an officially supported Python CLI. And Linode is hiring. So if you want to learn more about that, check out what they're looking for at linode.com slash careers. At Relay, we've been using Linode for quite a while now, hosting some internal tools, and it couldn't be easier to manage. I don't want to be a server admin kind of person, but with Linode, I don't have to be because their tools are really easy to use. And they have pricing options to suit everyone. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of memory. And Linode has a special offer for you. As a listener of the show, you can go to linode.com slash MPU and use the promo code MPU2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan. And you probably figured this math out already. On the one gig of memory plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Go give Linode a try today. 
That's lindo.com slash MPU and the promo code MPU2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Lindo for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Dave, I know this has got to be on your mind. One password if in the news, just uh, as we're recording this, but it'll be a week ago as this show publishes. You, uh, you guys took some investment capital. Uh, you know, all the you know users that the small users out there are thinking, well, what what are they going to do now? You know, so um, maybe you could explain a little bit to the listeners who are worried about investment in one password means your guys are going to change in big ways. Yeah, that would be great. Where to start? I guess just the the investment itself. So we we actually uh, took on some outside investment to help us uh, really accelerate our drive into the enterprise. And so you can imagine when when people hear me say that if they're if they're like a family using one password or like an individual using one password, their their first reaction is like, what about me, <laughs> right? Because like you know, is one password going to turn into some some enterprise app? And what's really interesting about that is like you know. I think we've all had those enterprise apps. They're, they're the apps that you just can't stand to use and, and nobody likes it and you only use it because your company tells you to. And so what we've seen as a trend for like the last well five years at least, but probably longer, is is consumerization of the enterprise. And 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 what that means basically is just, you know, a lot of companies will start their apps as a consumer app and then um, enterprises will realize or people at the enterprise will realize that this is like solving a real problem. This is solving that. This is solving my problem, and they'll start using it. And then at at a later date, um, you know, they'll actually be like an official enterprise offering. Um, and and that that happens. Because, and, and that's that's basically where we found ourselves. We have spent fourteen years now, just like. I like to say pouring our heart and soul in, in, into one password and, and like making it the best it can be in, in terms of user experience and taking care of our customers. And we've been super successful with that. And what we've found over you know last uh, three years anyways, um, is uh, enterprises are really starting to recognize they have a password problem and they, they need they need an app. They, they, need, they need they need a service that their users can actually use. And and that's the that, that that's that's the trick, right? You gotta you gotta have an app that people actually want to use, and that's why enterprises are coming to us because they're finding that that customers actually use our app. Um, you know, you can imagine enterprises all the time will will get an app and then they find that adoption is incredibly low. Um, that's that's not what they've been seeing with with ours, and so they're 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 coming to us and they're wanting more more features. But what's really interesting about the features they're asking about, it's it's it really has nothing to do with one with the app itself or with the client apps or, or the user experience or anything like that. It has to do with all the tooling on the on the other side. And so we 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 found this out, I don't know, I lose track of time, but probably four four years ago, five years ago. And so we started building onepassword.com um, primarily for uh, what we saw um, we were gonna need for for, for the enterprise. And fast forward to today, basically all individuals are using OnePassword.com, and, and, and the, the family services using OnePassword.com, and, and enterprises are also using it. Um, but um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, 99% of the time, people are just using the apps. And so, in, in terms of this investment and how it's going to affect the actual apps, 
basically it's, it's just going to make them better because we're going to spend our time just making that user experience as good as possible because we need employees at enterprises to actually use our app. If they don't, the companies are going to kick us out. And so it's, it's super important that, that we continue on that. And we've taken an investment specifically so that we can grow our team even faster than we already have been um, so that we can start, well, to be honest, continue building all the tools that the enterprises need. Um, we're actually, you know, I'm actually super proud to say this, like we're actually in um, like 25% of the Fortune 100 are already using 1Password. So it's like, wow. it's, 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 it's just incredible. And, and my favorite one of all, well, sorry, it's hard to have favorites, but I, I grew, my very first, my very, very first job was with at IBM. And um, this was back in 98, I was an intern. And so it's been over 20 years now, but you know, fast forward 20 years and, and now IBM's actually uh, using 1Password. Like it's just, it's just completely mind blowing. Yeah, it must feel good. It really, it really, really does. Yeah. And so I, I know a lot of people are worried about the investment because they think we're going to be changing direction and these types of things. But to be honest, it's, it's really more about getting some expertise around growing our team because like we've been, you know, it's, 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 I'm so thankful that I'm able to say this, but we've been more successful than we ever dreamed of. And um, we, quite frankly, we, we, need, we need help. We, we have 174 people working here now and every single one of them have their hands completely full. Um, and, you know, we, we see ideas and features that we want to add and this type of stuff. And you look around trying to find someone to give that feature to, or maybe even just a blog post, right? Like just, just simple things that you want to do. And everyone's so busy they're they don't they think they can't you can't put anything more on their plate and so we need we need to grow the team uh, much larger so that we can actually have some slack slack in our in our like some 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 free time you know so we can actually work on some some new tasks yeah I hadn't really thought of that before but you know in my head enterprise the reason I call enterprise a dirty word because in my experience you know working in in the firm, uh, the enterprise software was the stuff that was created to fill in a checklist for some, you know, some IT professional to make sure it does all these things, but like no consideration given to the actual user. And you, all three of you make apps that started out, let's make this an awesome user experience. And then suddenly, oh, wait, why don't we expand this so more, more people can use it? I mean, it, it, it's a completely different mindset. Yeah. One thing I'll note is that our products as we have sold them to businesses really are the exact same products. Uh, you know, we actually do have in the app store, something that we call the enterprise editions of our products, but the only difference between the enterprise edition and the normal pro edition uh, that you buy, that anyone would buy is uh, simply that all of the purchasing happens up front so that it can be distributed more easily through uh, Apple's, you know, store for Apple store for business or for education. Yeah. But other than that, it's the exact same code, all of the exact same features. Just the licensing is different. I'm happy for all three of you that you're that you're finding these ways. And because selfishly, I want all of your software to continue to thrive and grow because I use it all. <laughs> the, um, uh, but productivity, all three of you make productivity software. And and I was thinking it'd be fun to ask, you know, what is the most, and I'll start with you, Greg, what, what's the most productive way you use your Mac or your iPad? Or you can pick it, pick any Apple platform, but what's the most productive way you use it? 
I'm going to cheat and use the fact that we've got this particular audience to just give props and kudos because I think one password might be the thing that makes me the most productive on all of the platforms. If I had to <laughs> okay. wrangle passwords and the sheer number of accounts and services that I deal with, you know, I, I'm sort of the juggler, jack of all trades kind of person. And so it's just absolutely fantastic. So Dave, your team, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that software definitely sells itself. The first time I installed it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I need this. Take my money. <laughs> How about you, Ken? Where where are you most productive with your uh, your Apple hardware? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I spend a lot of my time just in Xcode. <laughs> so uh, when at least when I feel productive at the end of the day, a lot of the time it's because I helped refactor something or build some features of whatever, which I know is uh, is not actually the CEO part of my job. It's just the uh, engineering computer nerd part of my job. Yeah, I, I, I've been on many Omni betas over the years, and I see commits and messages from Ken at all hours of the day. And I'm thinking, man, this guy is all the way in with his products. How about you, um, uh, Dave? What, what's the app that makes you most productive? Or actually, not, I'm not asking app. I just what? how do you be productive with your Apple gear? Well, to be honest, one of my main challenges is just the number of number of distractions that I have. Um, and on this podcast alone, I'm looking at the timer. We're at like a one hour mark. So far, you know, multiple people have, re- have broken into my recording office here. And I've needed to wave them off <laughs> and ask them to leave. Um, <laughs> I... I have all my devices in do not disturb mode yet still I, I managed to find like little pings and stuff to kind of distract me and stuff so so lately it's it's really been um finding stuff that will do less um so for for apps that would be like bear right like just i go full screen mode on that guy and there's nothing there except except just what i'm writing so there's 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 nothing to distract me um, I, I wish I had a similar thing on, on the development side of the world. Uh, lately, I've been picking up VS Code, and um, it's, it's a really nice app. There, there's so many nice things about it. But it's one of those apps that you can basically do anything with, and you can keep on adding stuff. Um, and so sometimes I'll be not productive, like I'll be anti-productive, because I'm spending whatever, an hour just going and installing different plugins and changing font colors or fonts and then like this type of stuff. Um, and so, you know, kind of less is more. Like the older, the older I get, the less, the less uh, I kind of tinker with things. I just, I just want something nice and simple. Yeah, but font colors are so fun to adjust. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by FreshBooks. Online invoicing made easy. Go to freshbooks.com slash MPU and enter Mac Power Users in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get a 30-day free trial. FreshBooks is the answer for online invoicing. Invoicing used to be really difficult. I remember when I first started my career as an attorney, we would spend days generating the invoices, licking all those stamps, getting everything out the door. And then you never really knew if the client got it or if there were any problems with the invoice. That's not true anymore with FreshBooks. FreshBooks simplifies the task of invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online. And they have drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. I know because I'm a customer. With FreshBooks, you fill out your project or your billing information online, push a button, and send an invoice off to your client. 
They've got a notification center that acts like your personal assistant. You'll always know what's changed in your business since you last logged in and needs to be dealt with. It even automates late payment email reminders. So if somebody misses a payment deadline, it can just send an email so you can spend your time doing your work and not chasing payments. I've tried a bunch of different online invoice systems and FreshBooks is the one for me. They simplify the process, make it really easy to see your history, see who owes you money and who's paid the bills, and they also make it really easy to create and send new invoices. From the client side, they make it super easy to pay, which means I get paid faster. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial to listeners of this show. There's no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com MPU and enter Mac Power Users in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Thank you, FreshBooks, for your support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. Uh, so as we as we begin to, to make the turn to the end of this... Uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, the future. We started by talking about the past, then the present, and the future. See what we did. We're very clever in our outlining here. And as we approach the end of 2019, uh, what are some of the hardest parts about being in the software business? Let's start with you, Greg. I think it's probably being discovered or heard. Um, so, for example, when we first got started, you know, the front page of Mac Update was the way to be heard and to be discovered. And there were fewer places and fewer things competing for your attention. And so it was really great. I mean, when you were on the front page of Mac Update for a day, then that was, you know, double, triple, quadruple your sales. And, you know, those were simpler times. <laughs> we, are, we are not in those times anymore. And so now it's tricky figuring out, okay, how do we help uh, I mean, w one thing that we see is that how do we help the person who moves from company A to company B get text expander up and running at company B? And, you know, they are the ideal and logical person and they are sort of embedded in where we need to be. Um, and how do we equip them? How do we help them? And how do we make that transition as easy as possible for them? Yeah, that's, uh, thank you for the memories there, Greg. I kind of forgot. <laughs> Forgot about the simpler times. <laughs> it was really nice. Um, we uh, we're very fortunate right now. Like being discovered is not really our, our our challenge anymore. We're 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 we found a really we're in a really good state, and and we're our, our biggest challenge right now is just keeping up. To be com completely honest, and so that means we need to grow our company. And there's few things that scare me more than growing uh, growing our company. Now it's funny I say that because. We've been doubling every two years for the last 14 years. Um, and so we've always been growing. So you think by now I would not be scared of it anymore, but, but I am because I don't, I don't want to lose our culture. I don't want to, I don't want to lose track of our values and, and what, what, what makes us special. Right. Um, and so it's just something I constantly worry about. And, and honestly, I hope if I keep on worrying about it, then we'll kind of manage to, to keep the status quo as it were. So yeah, we're we're yeah. in a we're like we're in a completely different state than we were 14 years ago because it used to be all about discoverability and now it's now it's about like how do we how do we grow and and actually keep people productive um, while our company gets larger. As a business lawyer, I can tell you the most dangerous time for a company is in growth because that's when you you don't you hit problems you didn't know existed. 
Um, right. So Ken, Ken, Ken was talking earlier, right? Um, a lot of the companies that they deal with, they have their own terms of service. And so I'm not a lawyer. So like, they're like, I want to change these words. And it's like, okay, I just kind of feel like saying yes. So the problem goes away, but it's like, well, I should probably ask someone. And then like a month later, the lawyers still haven't even agreed with each other. So not only do we need to have a lawyer, but we, we need to have like a general consul who has the ability to make executive decisions of, yeah, we're willing to compromise on that, but we won't compromise on this. Like, it's like a whole new world, right? Yeah, since the lawyers really just identify the risks for you, they don't tell you. <laughs> I mean, you have to make the business decision about are those risks okay or not? <laughs> right, exactly. And yeah. Lawyers are the worst. If Apple could uh, could do one thing to make your software better, not not business, not culture, but the, the actual software you make, uh, if if you had that one golden ticket, what would you cash it in for, Greg? Shoot, I think you might have constrained me too much. I was going to go for, uh, you know, <laughs> let let a keylogger like Text Expander into the Mac App Store. That was what I was going to go for. Yeah, because I think in that case I, I we'll, we'd we'll allow it. Okay, yeah, cool. We'll, we'll make I mean, an exception for you there. Yeah. In that case, we'd have a more sane model for someone who wanted to subscribe to Text Expander on either Mac or iOS for for you know that's very platform friendly. And that's just yeah. not something that we can do right now. Yeah, maybe they, we should make have Apple make a rule that if you've been in business for 15 years and proven that you're a good company, <laughs> we could let you in. I don't know. We keep trying. So, uh, and, and I think that, there, I mean, to be fair, I think that there may be some possibility of that over the long haul. I think that the changes that Apple made to the permissions structure in Catalina look good and, you know, should potentially lower objections to that over the long haul. What, what about you, Ken? Are you going to uh, honor the, the spirit of my question? <laughs> um, can you repeat the question, please? <laughs> what the spirit was. This <laughs> is the letter. Um, the, uh, the one thing that I kind of wish Apple, I mean, that they could do to make our lives as software developers easier rather than our software itself, is, is that an acceptable spirit of the question rather than letter? <laughs> uh, is if the App Store had better support for uh, for apps that have in-app purchases as their primary purchasing model. So right now, all of our apps that are subscription-based or are in-app purchase-based, you know, you can download it for free, which is great because you can get free trials and it lets us offer uh, free updates and so on uh, for previous upgrading customers. But it's listed in the App Store as a free app. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that we have enterprise editions of all of our apps in the App Store, you know, to kind of get around the distribution issues with the Apple Store for Business and Apple Store for Education. Well, all of that is because they don't support uh, in-app purchases in those other stores. They only support purchase up front. Uh, so if they really supported well the notion of paid for apps that come as a free download, uh, you know, are no longer listed as free apps, but as paid apps so that it sets expectations appropriately for customers. And uh, and then also let businesses use the subscriptions and or uh, you know other in-app purchases as well uh, in the Apple Store for Business and uh, and in the education side as well. That would make a big difference, I think, for our customers. How about you, Dave? I think I say this every year. I can't remember though. But basically, we have this really nice uh, password autofill API on iOS that we get to use. 
and it's it's really nice um apple apple like that was that was that was christmas in uh what was it christmas in june um yeah uh, for us it was just it's it so it's so amazing and i want something similar on the mac i'm i'm just uh, every every year i've been hoping for it it hasn't happened yet but you know i, I was wishing for my macbook pro for quite some time and now it looks like it finally happened. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, if I just keep on, keep the faith here, we'll eventually be able to have, have uh, OS support for, for filling passwords. And, and, you know, like just imagine how great it would be if, if you're in OmniFocus and you needed a password and, and like the system dialogue right there could call it to one password and, and get, get the data you needed without you having to copy and paste stuff around. It would be, it'd be super sweet. It would just be so nice. I, I don't know if I've ever told you this story before, but I was at WWDC at the State of the Union the year they announced the autofill, and they were explaining it. And I happened to be sitting two rows behind a bunch of the One Password team, and they they started. It was a total like gaslight what they did. They they started out by explaining it how it worked with iOS and Apple was going to create this great system that could fill your passwords anywhere. And the guys from One Password, their shoulders were slumping. You weren't there, Dave. I think I don't whatever you were at a different section, but you could just see them like you know just falling down in their chairs as this was going on and then suddenly they said and by the way third party password apps can use it too and they like leapt out of their seats it was <laughs> it's one of my best memories of WWC watching those guys react to that news <laughs> and then then they ran to their hotel to implement it it was it was yes had, like we you had, had code the next day <laughs> yeah we we had it working that night it was it was incredible what about looking forward as we head into 2020 what are you guys most excited about you want to start that one greg no qualifications. Here. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, and I, I think I commend Dave on the last one for answering the question best in terms of what it was asking. But <laughs> um, at any rate, for for twenty twenty, uh, it's growth for us really, and that's super exciting. Um, I think we are able to uh, grow our team over the course of the coming year and to uh, build out some specialization. And so, folks who have been doing, you know, seven things will actually be able to do three, four or five of them super well and, and shift a few of them to some folks who have some expertise in, in those areas that they're shifting. So that's really exciting for us. I mean, we haven't, we haven't managed quite to, to, to double every year for 14 years. So we're a little behind on that curve. And, and so uh, just sort of commencing on that is going to be really exciting and fun for us. How about you, Ken? Looking forward to 2020, what are you most excited about? Well, of course, I'm excited about our own upcoming product updates, but uh, I'll save that for a, a different thing. Um, in the Apple market, I'm really looking forward to seeing Swift UI mature and uh, you know being able to write more and more of our new code in it, much like you know over the past five years, we've written more and more of our new code in Swift. And I think that in the long term will have a dramatic impact on our development. Dave, any thoughts going into 2020? Well, to be honest, I'm a little upset here. So I had two things I wanted to say, right? So number one was like growth. But like I already kind of talked about that and then Greg talked about it. So I'm like, ah, okay, I'm going to my backup plan, which was Swift UI because I'm super excited to see where that goes. <laughs> and, and Ken, Ken just took that from me. So now I have to go with my third one that I'm making up on the spot. But I think it's perfect because, uh, you know, 
David, you need to know this. Um, I think what I'm most excited about is my brand new MacBook Pro 16 inch. Oh, you're you're it's, terrible. It's it's arriving <laughs> on the 22nd. What is that? What is that? Today is you know. Anyways, it's going to be here real soon on the 22nd, and I just I can't wait to open that box and use Touch ID again because I I, I I went back to the to the earlier. Uh, models of MacBooks, MacBook Pros, w- without Touch ID, and so I can't wait to use Touch ID again. It's it's been it's been too long. Hey, I'm just glad that we're recording this before the Mac Pro is in any of your offices. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, before we started pushing the the red button, uh, listeners, all three of these developers told me they're buying the new MacBook Pro and that I should buy one. So th- these guys are are terrible. I'm just going to say it. The, the panel of enablers. Maybe that's our show title. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one thing we like to, to end our, our guest interviews with, as you all know, is uh, some picks, some, some apps or services that people are using every day to get their work done. And um, in the spirit of my previous question where I put limiters on you, uh, what are some of your favorite apps uh, that you use all the time that you, that you don't make? And uh, I would maybe go as far to say that no one on the panel makes. So can't, it can't be three of y'all uh, giving each other high fives. So uh, let's start with you, Ken. Well, uh, I would say the app that I spend the most time in day in and day out is actually Terminal. <laughs> and I really love it. <laughs> Loved it for years. It's built into, uh, into you know, every Unix machine that I've ever used. But the uh, the one on Mac is particularly good compared to some of the others, and I use that a ton. Uh, in every meeting, I use Good Notes, and of course, right now, uh, shout out to the uh, Audio Hijack team. You know, that's what I'm using right now to record my end of this audio. They do a great job. Yeah, Good Notes just added a new feature. It's I I know it's in the beta. I think it may be out in the public release now where you can take a picture of it'll scan a page and add it to your GoodNotes file. So if you want to combine analog with digital, it's super powerful. You just, I don't know how they did it. Well, I mean, I know how they did it, but I mean, the scanning engine is very good. It, it put automatically puts the perimeter around the page and saves it to your notes. But that's an app that like you guys just continues to improve very quickly. Yeah, and I've even got the uh, the version on Catalina now. <laughs> yeah, nice. Which is, yeah, one of the better Catalina apps. I mean, one of the better Catalyst apps. Boy, Catalina and Catalyst. It's very they, they hard. Figure out... <laughs> it's very hard to talk about them. How about... How about you, Dave? I I just love that Ken said terminal. That is so awesome. Um, (laughs) So I feel like I have to follow suit and and just say VS Code because I I spend so much time in VS Code. And and it works for basically every language that I I use, Rust, Rust, JavaScript, you know, you you name it. It's really nice. But on on this show, like, I I really want to give shout outs to uh, smaller developers because, like, Microsoft um, and Apple, they don't really need much advertising. Um, so Bear, I pick Bear every every year, and I just I just I just love that for my for my uh, basically my long form writing. So like blog posts and and anything like that, I just I, I need to get rid of all the distractions. So I, I, I go into Do Not Disturb mode. Um, sometimes I even just turn off the internet to be honest, <laughs> um, and just I, I go a full screen, and and there's just there's nothing there except except the words, and and so like that's super great. 
Um, Except that blinking cursor mocking you, right? Yes, yes. But that (laughs) forces you to move forward. So it's really nice. And then I have to do a double take, a a, a twofer here. And then Alfred, I just, I'm I'm a really big fan of Alfred, uh, particularly the clipboard um, manager. I, I just, I always change the settings so that anything I keep copied to my clipboard is saved for, for three months. Um, honestly, I'd do it for like two years if I could, but, but it doesn't let me, but, um, it's just safe for three months. Cause I, I'm, I'm constantly just copying and pasting stuff and moving stuff around. And, and, um, I often, I'm not the most organized person. And so when I lose something, I pretty much always know what's in my clipboard. So I just go search my clipboard and I find it. Yeah, man, a clipboard app is something that every Mac user must have. It's just so, it's it's like day and night productivity difference. Greg, any uh, apps or services that you're particularly excited about? Uh, yeah, there are two that I, I really like and that I use all the time. Uh, the first would be EncryptMe. Um, and so that's a virtual private networking app where, you know, when I'm not at home and uh, want to be securely on the web, then I can use it. And it's it's beautiful how nice an app it is, how automatic it is, how it doesn't get in my way and how it does what I need it to do, which is just absolutely fantastic. Um, and the other would be micro.blog, which is really sort of less the app and then more the idea and the platform um, and the kind and gentle community that's there. Um, and I suppose that I have cheated a little bit in that both companies actually have Smile alumni uh, involved with them. Well, Matt and Reese has been on the show. In fact, he came on to talk about uh, the service when he was first building it. And I'm just so happy to see his success. Yeah, fantastic platform, fantastic people. Well, guys, we did it. We did another roundtable of developers. Thank you so much for coming on. Once again, our guests today were Dave Tear from 1Password, Ken Case from the Omni Group, and Greg Scown from Smile. Um, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to come on here. I know you all are very busy, uh, but having a developer's vantage point, being able to share that with the audience once a year is, I think, really, really priceless for us and the audience. I mean, so many of us use your apps. Uh, it really helps us to understand you know, what's going on behind the scenes and how, how this business works and helps us make smarter decisions when we purchase and subscribe to apps on our own. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, if I can talk them into it again, we're going to have them back next year. And uh, But that does it for the 2019 Developer Roundtable Show. We are the Mac Power Users. Thanks for listening to the show, gang, and we'll see you all next week.